Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts that are facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Okay, hi and welcome to a, an outside broadcast again of uh, Arrow Bandwidth. And today we are at the uh, NESAP Partner Academy in one of the Hiltons in Birmingham, NEC. And uh, yeah, we, I'm joined by uh, one podcast, one of our podcast veterans, Mr. Paul Vaughan. Hey, how are you? How are you? You've been presenting today? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I came in after you, so it was interesting to see how I had to make everyone, uh, you know, Wake up after that amazing uh, presentation. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah. You nice followed the legend that is David Fern. Exactly. And that voice is a one of our podcasting virgins. Yes. Mr. Michael Clark. Hello, everybody. Mike. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> I've worked with you about 13 years. You have indeed. You um, have indeed. So come I take on. full credit of uh, your rise to fame <laughs> since I brought you in to Thanks, distribution. Mate. Much appreciated. <laughs> That's all right. That was the beginning of the end for my career. But yeah. hey, hey. Um, <laughs> the only way is up. So what do you do for Arrow? Mike? So I am the NetApp business manager for Arrow. So I run the BDMs and it's our job to really make sure our partners um, understand the NetApp technology programs and promotions and help um, our partners drive growth. Perfect. Perfect. And we are incredibly lucky. You're not just listening to a bunch of Arrow people to have... The man, the legend, within the NetApp community and beyond, Mr. Matt Watts. Nice to, lovely to have you on. A pleasure to be on the podcast with you, David. Fantastic. So you've also been presenting today. Yes, yeah, so I was on straight after lunch, so I also had to try and wake <laughs> people up. It <laughs> yeah, uh, seems to have been a theme. But yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's not the greatest, uh, greatest place in the world. I must admit, the, the best thing I've ever done in, a, in exactly that same situation, even in graveyard or just after lunch, is you get everyone to stand up and you get them either to open their arms or close their arms and you take a photograph, and immediately you can turn around and say, all right, whether this is bad or brilliant, I've just got a picture of getting a standing ovation. Yeah. So I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're that the best one. Always good icebreaker. Starting, starting is always better. You know, people are fresh, so well done. Yeah, yeah. I, I secured that slot early doors. But anyway, we're not here to talk about presenting techniques. We're here to talk about NetApp. So, Matt, can you just start by giving us a bit of a, a landscape of, of the storage industry as a whole and where we are, what we're doing? You know, I think... That, you know, this, this podcast has always been aimed at the channel and, and people who, who want to learn a bit more and, and be able to sort of take a message out to their customers. Yep. So, you know, for customers who think still, with all due respect, that storage is disk and maybe a little bit of um, some software sprinkled on top, but the software is sort of secondary to the disk, mm -hmm. give us a sort of a snapshot of, of where we are today. Yeah, so I think I, kind of the summary I always say, you know, storing is boring, I think is the, the, the like expression, it. right? And um, I mean, NetApp's been on quite a, a sort of a transformation over the last two or three years, um, probably started from when George Kurian took over. And it was a recognition that whilst storage, storage products, flash products will still be an important part of our business, mm -hmm. actually it's about how do you help people deal with data? Yep. How do you help people maximize the value from it? Um, how do you help them tap into it? How do you help them manage it across kind of hybrid cloud, multi-cloud type resources? And that really is the journey that we're on, is how do we start moving away from being associated and known as just a storage company to being known as a data company yeah. and helping companies manage their data in this kind of this new world that's becoming a reality for everybody. So give us some examples of, of what that actually means from a, in a sort of practical perspective. Obviously, it's a great thing to say, but sort of how are you actually delivering that change? 
Yeah, so I think um, we've had a strategy for this last couple of years, which is called Data Fabric, mm -hmm. which is effectively to say we'll continue to deliver technology on-premise. That may be hardware, engineered systems, or it might just be software. We're also delivering technology into the cloud, so we can now install software within AWS or within Azure. Sure. And we're helping people with a next-generation approach. Mm -hmm. So how do you start building HCI-type platforms? So all of those things are good, but what's really important is the data fabric that sits over the top of them. How do yeah. we help companies make sure that data can reside in any one of those locations when it needs to be there, for the period it needs to be there for, and also report against it? Yeah. How much is it costing me to run mm. this service to store this data inside Amazon mm. or AWS? And if it's not right and we could do it better somewhere else, how do we move it? Yeah. So for us, it's all about this fabric which allows us to connect all these different endpoints together to make sure data is where it needs to be so that we yeah. can report on it and do things with it. Cool. That's, that's really important, the fact that you can report on it and, and say to folks, listen, even though you thought your data is doing X, do you know that it's doing Y? And yep. do you know why it's doing that? You know, those are really important things to, to take account of. So, uh, sorry, go for it. No, I was just going to just sort of agree that um, a lot of the conversations I've been having recently are people who had like a cloud-first strategy. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing now that we're sort of a year or uh, say even 18 months in, they're now starting to question not whether it's the right strategy, but whether the way they've adopted it or mm, the data yeah. they've put into it, the applications they're running in it were the right ones. And they don't have, in many cases, the tools to give them the information in order yeah. to make a, a real decision about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I must admit, we've, um, so we've done a lot of research and we've done about six of our 50-odd podcasts specifically on the future of cloud. And every single time we've had industry, industry experts on, we've had us lot talking about it and debating it on hours on the podcast, and every single time we've come down to the exact same answer. I think maybe five years ago, everyone was saying, oh, you know, just like when it was, you bought a single server, then virtualization came along, and everyone was like, why, why, why aren't you virtualization first, and then it's the absolute exceptions that go on physical tin. The next leap is going to be cloud, and why would you put it on virtualization on physical tin? But I think actually, now that we've the dust has settled on that strategy, we're seeing that in reality, there's a place for both. And actually, the answer is hybrid. Yep. So having technologies that mm -hmm. fundamentally underpin that strategy, I think for me, is, is critical. Because without that, you, you're going to be a very disjointed, disparate organization. And I think one of the things that we're seeing is that the vendors that turn around and say, it's not about us saying, OK, we've got on-prem, we've got virtual versions of our solution, and the linkage is a third-party ecosystem vendor that sort of is a bit clunky, that we're not their main priority. We're sort of replicating like this and we're sharing data like that and we're giving you sort of unified access for no, no, no. it needs to be one succinct simple simple sort of approach to, to, to data mm. in anywhere it is yeah absolutely and and i mentioned in the, the talk we just did next door that mm. everything is defined by data yeah and and i think that's the interesting thing for me is that we've taken an approach which is we can create a fabric and we don't care what the data is above it. I don't care if it's an SAP application, whether it's a VMware application, a Hyper-V application. For us, it's just a stack of zeros and ones yeah. that we have to be able to provide mobility and reporting against. Yeah. I mean, how are you providing things like availability in the cloud when you've got such a disparate sort of data sets? And, and you know, how are you providing a, a level of availability? Is it still RAID or have we moved into a slightly more interesting world? So I, th so I think there's um, it's kind of two or three sort of different answers to that one. So I think one of the things that I always say to people is just because you're using the cloud doesn't mean that you shouldn't design for availability. 
And it's amazing how many people said, oh, we'll just go into this cloud and <laughs> therefore it's available. Yeah. Well, that's the reason they have availability zones because yeah. you actually need to think about how are you still going to continue to build availability into it. So that's kind of one answer is you need to be able to make sure that if you're running inside AWS, you're in two availability zones yep. and data is replicated across them. So mm. it's, it's a mixture of different things, but I think people have still got to think just because I'm using the cloud doesn't mean that I now need to forget about disaster recovery and the things that you were doing previously because yeah. you still have to consider them. Yeah, I must admit, I think with all due respect to them, and actually this is almost sort of the, the benefit of their business, that VMware made everyone a bit lazy. You know, it went from availability back in sort of the olden days of availability was in the application. Then we sort of had availability just by default in the infrastructure with things like VMware HA and DRS and then fault tolerance. And then we've gone to this world in the cloud where it is all virtualized, but if a server fails, you're gone. And as you say, the reason you have availability zones is to spread your application. And we've got to think about how we make the actual application layer available again. And that goes 100% for storage as well. Yep. No, long, no longer can we just say, I've got one box. It's surely got dual controllers, so that, that'll be fine. <laughs> it's, it's a different world. And I think mm. this is one of the problems you know, that I've seen in, in the channel today is, is, that, is an understanding of that and an understanding of the architectural, I don't want to get too, too in the weeds, but the architectural sort of differences when you move into the cloud and when you take data to the cloud specifically. So, mm. so yeah, I mean, but moving on from sort of the, the technical stuff, I mean, what are some of the transformational sort of workloads that we've seen? What, what is this sort of lighting up from a business use case perspective? Well, one of the things that, it's quite interesting. I, I mentioned in my talk about uh, one of the uh, Horowitz um, and recent partners. I forget his name now, but if you search uh, on YouTube for the end of cloud computing and the emergence of edge, you'll you'll see the 30-minute um, talk about this. And uh, the, the basic thesis is that the cloud cannot hold everything. Because if you have a car that's an autonomous car, that needs to take a whole bunch of feeds and sensors and, and, and do something in real time with that information. It's, you know, terabytes and potentially petabytes mm. of data that cannot be shipped up to no. a cloud compute platform to be processed within milliseconds, right? The, the computing is going to come to the edge and the storage will come to the edge and that's going to have implications for how cloud's going to develop. So the, the fact that you guys mentioned that there's going to be some sort of hybrid approach to yep. It, yep. it, it's quite self-evident that that's going to be the case. Now, in what form it's going to take and whether or not the storage will be in little chips or uh, in little modules is another story. But clearly, for folks to say, I'm only a cloud-first uh, organization, it, it may well be the case, yeah. but it's likely not to be the case if you take into account all these other factors yeah. that are starting to change the way businesses interact with yeah. stuff that their customers want them to interact with. Yeah. You know, if you're in a retail environment, I as a customer want the people who provide me with their retail service to have stuff to make it easier for me to interact with it. I don't want to be vetted every time I walk into a store. I want to be pre-vetted. And if I pick up an item, I want to walk out with it. I don't know what that looks like, but if it needs me to interact with stuff, then I want I want that as a as a shopping experience. Yeah. yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And actually, a great example of of the um, the sort of first thing you discussed about about this edge computing thing, we um, we got involved in um, Germany or Austria, one of the two, the DAC region, on a project to put data centers into the high speed trains they have there. Hmm. 
um, because they've got sensors in every bit of these new trains. So uh, it was with um, it was Hitachi who build trains, yep. and they essentially their differentiator is that they do like trains as a service almost. They'll they'll deliver a train not as a big capital expenditure, multi-billion-dollar capital expenditure. They'll say, because we know our trains, we can understand every single element of how they run, we can start to basically give you a better business model as a government mm. or a train provider or whomever um, by essentially doing pay-as-you-go. But to enable that business model, you know, the nuts and bolts, they have to understand and optimize every single time yeah. they break the train to go into a corner. They have to know, they want to know exactly how it's breaking. Because... You know, if you can optimize the energy, then you can save money, so you can deliver it cheaper. And they kick off, you know, on a normal run, they'll kick off terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data. So they've got, essentially, a data center mm. on the train next to the driver, you know, engine room, data center, with terabytes and terabytes of storage arrays specifically there to consume this data, pre-process it, and then, essentially, when they get into the station, they plug big thing of fiber cables into it and download it all mm. off onto the, you know, into the cloud. Uh, crazy. Love it. Yeah, talking about pay as you go, do we, uh, Mike, commercially, do we accommodate that type of approach for, for resellers and partners to, to, to facilitate that purchasing model for, for end customers? Is that something I think we do? It, that's very good timing, the fortuitous this question, because NetApp are now launching their NetApp on demand, which is actually used as pay as you go. Okay. From, a, from a storage technology. It's not a fancy lease. It literally is pay-as-you-go. So we are currently building the program now. So watch this space. In the next few weeks, we want to launch this NetApp-on-demand offering. Okay. So what are, the, what are some of the base requirements for that? I mean, how much, what's, what, where do you, I mean, can we talk about how, where you start? And where you might um, I think or? it's still very early days. So okay. literally, we, we met up with Chris Lamborn last week. We've outlined what it looks like. So we now need to build the program, take it to market, look at the contracts as well. Um, so yeah, watch this space. So you're basically saying that NetApp are providing a, a platform for people to say, look, this is the type of data needs I have today. So give me something that can yep. survive my needs now, but make it so that if I want something else in the future, 10 times, three times more, I can just get it when I need it. Yeah, and, and taking into account mm. the, the kind of multi-cloud approach as well. Is, you know, we, when we used to do these kind of on-demand things, effectively it was a leash. You were buying kit, yeah. we'd put in some sort of buffer capacity. But the simple reality is now you might be saying, mm. I just need this amount of capacity, and some of it's going to be in the cloud, some of it's going to be on-premise. Right. And, and that's the sort of on-demand level of flexibility that we have to look at. So that's, that's the kind of things that we're okay. starting to look at now, much more of a hybrid-type on-demand mm. agreement. So, Matt, for the sort of... Going back into the slightly more producty stuff, tell us a bit more about the relationship that NetApp have with um, AWS and sort of how how that's borne out and, and sort of what the success, how the channel's taking up on on that particular uh, solution. Yeah, so so we, as you know, David, about two years ago, we made the decision that we weren't going to fight the cloud; we would embrace the cloud. Yep. And to be honest, it was the right decision. Um, and others have demonstrated since then that you can't fight <laughs> Azure and AWS. Yeah. They, they've got momentum, they've got pace, and they've got the desire that companies want to use them. We started with AWS because it was the biggest. Yep. It was simply that was the one that had momentum. It was the one that everybody was using. Um, and we started off looking at how could we help people tap into it for test and development? How could we tap into it for disaster recovery? So those became the first kind of use mm -hmm. cases. Now we're looking at how could we have people archive data out to it for longer term, low cost mm -hmm. data retention? How could we, where companies are all in with AWS, 
and are now seeing that actually the storage cost is a very significant element, how could we help them be more efficient in the way they consume from AWS? So it's very strategic. And last year at Insight, we actually had people from AWS at the event, and they were actually talking about the partnership. And this year, we've extended that to Azure. Fantastic. And we're now starting to accelerate the same kind of activities with Azure. Um, and the most recent one, very technical, but the NFS as a service out of Azure, that's built on NetApp. That's, that's NetApp technology that's delivering the NFS as a service out of Azure. So very, very good relationships with both. So for a NetApp partner looking to embrace this sort of as a solution to differentiate their, so, you know, they're going to their customers and they don't want to have the same old method or same old story of refresh or buy more or, you know, something that's relatively commoditized. How do they go to, how do they go about having started to have this conversation? I mean, what, what are some of the triggers and some of the things that the partners and the channel need to look for to understand when a customer is ready to go into this mode rather than just an on-prem mode? So, so I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm going a, a bit of a major step with this one. We, there was some research done recently, and it said um, only 1% of companies are not looking at cloud. Mm. So you can kind of use the statistics and say, if I've got 100 meetings, yeah. 99 of those well, will have some sort of cloud aspect. What's the difference aspect. between a customer who's looking at the cloud and a customer and, and a, a partner being able to go, hand on heart, this is the right solution, and these are some of the reasons why? So I mean, I'll always be guided by the strategy of the customer. Mm -hmm. I mean, one I saw last week, they said, we are Azure. It's as simple as that, the decision yep. is made. In which case, I need to look at, well, how could we put something together that would complement what you're currently doing in your own data centers with the work you're already doing with Azure? How, yep. how does, what would that look like? Um, you know, if I was going to somebody and they were AWS, I'd probably continue that route. If we're talking to somebody who hasn't made that decision, then it's, well, you know, let's talk about the capabilities you're trying to deliver Azure is great for some things, AWS is great for other things, but actually, you don't need to choose. Maybe no. you use both. Um, so I think it's, it is very much more consultative, but, yeah. but we have to have the cloud conversation. But what are the business case? I mean, so what are the business drivers outside of the decision of what providers to go down the route of? What are the, some of the sort of trigger things that a salesperson should be listening for to say, all right, now is the right time for you to move from not only an on-prem, but also a combination of on-prem and, and cloud. What are the, some of the, the growths? You know, what, what are we looking for inside of a company? We're looking for a, a, an external workforce, you know, growing. Are we looking for diversification in their business model? What are some mm -hmm. of the things, really, really compelling use cases you've seen for people moving and, and investing in that cloud? So, so I guess the first one, which is a really basic one, which is have they got a cloud strategy? Some companies have just made the decision, as you just yeah. quite rightly said, we are cloud first. Yeah. Therefore, actually, whatever use cases we end up talking about, we have to consider yeah, it yeah, in yeah. cloud context. Um, agile development, software development, um, because every business is becoming more and more digital. A lot of the things they're developing are no longer just the products they traditionally sold, it's the applications around them as well. Yeah. And in that model, you'll need to be looking for how could we accelerate test, how can we accelerate development, how can we make that whole process faster and cheaper? Yes. Um, and that's a very, very good use case. And then you've got the more sort of simplistic use cases like Office 365. Companies starting to make decisions that we are going to take applications, lock stock, and move them out yeah. to the cloud. In which case there comes cost discussions, protection discussions, and then I think the other one, analytics and disaster recovery. So if those four, for me, I think are the, the kind of key ones where cloud makes sense and that there's something that we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly how I would characterize it. So as soon as you start to hear those, 
those sort of things, it's a light bulb of, right, actually, I think you're ready for cloud. Because I think, in my personal experience, there's, there's a very big difference between a company that thinks they should go to the cloud because it sounds like the right thing to do, and a company that says, all right, now we're ready for the cloud, and actually, there's a real business case around going to the cloud. And obviously, I think it's one of the problem, one of the biggest um, things I've had around resellers going, we don't actually know when it's the right time to, to really push that. Because uh, let's be honest, customers have their head in their day-to-day -day business. They don't often get a chance to really raise their head above the parapet and go, what's available, what's on offer, what can I, what can I do differently? Yeah. Because their job is essentially to maintain the status quo. So it's the partner's job to sort of drive that change mm -hmm. and, and, and be the advocate of change. And I suppose, obviously, it's their reputation on the line. So it's really interesting to hear when you think the right sort of conversations are starting to happen in an organization for a reseller to be able to go, right, actually, I really think you will be, it would be appropriate and, and the right time for you to move to this delivery model for your storage infrastructure. Yeah. And I think the one one thing I'll add, and sorry to be taking no, 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 all no, of the call, I love to it. talk. So, no, go for it, um, the, the one thing I would add, though, is that um, it tends to get access to somebody more senior in the organization. Mm -hmm. And now, and I'll, yeah. and if I take this from NetApp's perspective, quite often we've been pigeonholed with the storage team, the head of infrastructure. Whereas as we start trying to expand the conversation towards data fabric, towards kind of hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, suddenly we open up a different group. It, because somebody who's looking at that will tend to be somebody who's looking at strategy rather than somebody mm. who's looking at infrastructure. Yeah. So I think it's good practice to, to, to almost assume there's going to be a, a hybrid cloud discussion and then find out who you need to go and speak to about That's, that because it could yeah. open up new doors mm. for you. Yeah. It's almost sort of uh, putting the cart before the horse, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sort of thing you do, isn't it, Borny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Love a bit of that. So, look, no conversation about storage and, and anything, really, in the IT industry outside of... I can't think of anything, actually. Um, would not be complete without asking you uh, to basically elaborate on, on, on the elephant in the room, the gigantic elephant in the room, the four-letter acronym that every single company has to do something about by May 2018 GDPR. So, give us a little give us a little overview of, of what how a NetApp helping customers. And I appreciate. And by the way, podcast listeners, I know we've gone over this a long time. Fifteen to twenty percent of GDPR is fixed through technology, mm -hmm. right? Everything else is it's process, it's organisational change, it's education, mm -hmm. and it's general sort of guidance and compliance in an organisation. But there are a lot of technologies that can help to accelerate the adoption of GDPR and secure and, and do various good things to, to help organizations to, to meet the regulations. So what's NetApp's sort of strategy around GDPR? What are you guys doing proactively? And okay. So um, I think you've got Sheila Fitzpatrick. We is do gonna have Sheila in a couple of weeks' time. She is just a mad bundle of energy. She'll do a great podcast. Brilliant. She's just, she's just really, really good. So, and you'll get a chance to meet her next week. Sheila is our um, chief data officer and worldwide legal counsel. Wow. And she, is, uh, she lives this stuff. Mm. And she loves it. And so we've been using Sheila an awful lot to go out and provide much more independent type of guidance to our customers. You know, this is first and foremost a legal issue and not a technology issue. Yes. So we've been using Sheila to really go out and help with that. She's now started to build a practice around her to actually go out and sort of do some basic level of consultation with companies to help them start to work out what is the legal framework going to look like and how do they start getting a handle on what, what is the data, what are the commitments. So we very much focused on it from a, a kind of a business, a, a legal perspective. However, 
you're absolutely right. Once you understand that, there are technologies that you can bring in that will help you address it. Yeah. Whether that's object storage with metadata tagging, whether that's you know the fact that if you've got a, a fabric, you have the ability to move things around. Um, and we always talk about our data fabric being a platform. Mm -hmm. And we want to start seeing companies build on top of the data fabric platform. So Veronis or Comprise or Full Sail, companies who do that kind of file-based reporting yeah. and analytics, which again can help with GDPR. Our data fabric to provide that kind of hybrid cloud platform with their technologies layered over the top can also provide some really powerful opportunities to deal with GDPR. Fantastic, fantastic. So, Coxie, do you see any um, any of our partners sort of really taking this message to market? I mean, how, how are the channel adopting in, in your space and looking through the sort of lens of, of the NetApp and Arrow? What are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing lots of different partners looking at different um, consultancy companies they're working with. I think yeah. um, what's important, um, as, as Matt said, it is that conversation the NetApp becoming the trusted advisor. So we are always telling our partners, make sure you're working with NetApp, go in to talk to the NetApp end customers to you know, bring the likes of Sheila in. Because if you're not in there having those conversations with NetApp, your other, somebody else yeah. is with another vendor. So that's what we're seeing and that's what we're trying to promote and push is that NetApp is seen as the trusted advisor. Perfect, perfect. Vaughan, any last words of, uh, of New Zealand wisdom for us? Uh, no, other than uh, looking forward to the uh, autumn test. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we still don't have England. We have to wait for the World Cup for that. I, I think they're dodging us. I Look, guys, thank you ever so much for coming on. <laughs> thank it's you. Been really brilliant. And sure. uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank Speak you, David. Soon. Cheers, Bye. guys. Bye. 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 for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts that are facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. <laughs>